The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. And hello, movie lovers. So tonight, I actually have a very special guest with me, and... I have Will from Conversations About Dot Dot Dot, and tonight we're actually finally doing our best and worst comic book movies and TV shows of 2022. We're now down to five uh, of each in each category of the best and worst of each one. I hope that you guys sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, how are you doing, Will? You know, I'm doing fine. I, I agree. It's always it's a pleasure being on. I greatly appreciate it. We get to talk some of my favorite stuff, comic book movies and TV shows. So let's just let's do this. Top five. Yes, sir. Let's go on ahead. Let's narrow it down. So I'm gonna since you're the guest of honor, I'll let you go on ahead. Go with your number five for your best. Five for best. Wow. Okay. So I'm gonna say it's Marvel. Because I really enjoyed the target audience. A lot of people, the internet lost their minds. They're like, this wasn't for me. I was just like, okay, well, that's cool. You stay over there. I don't need you on Twitter and everything else telling me about how much you didn't like it and how much it wasn't for you. I can care less. Like, I loved it uh, because it, it knew its target audience and it aimed, I feel like it aimed pretty well. Like, they were trying to get more teenagers and younger people into the MCU. Uh, and I feel like with the Young Avengers stuff that they're already kind of setting up, I feel like we could have Kamala Khan showing up in some sort of capacity on a Young Avengers type team. However, the MCU can do it. But I enjoyed the spirit. I enjoyed the Iman Vellani, I believe is her name. I enjoyed the actress that played her. Uh, and I've never been a big fan of Miss Marvel prior. And so the idea that they were able to really make her endearing and charming and sweet and funny and awkward and all those things that we it's teenagers all experience in different ways you know of course yeah and so yeah it was i feel like it was a good show it did what it was came to do well uh and i really enjoyed it overall yeah i actually have that as my number three believe it or not because of the fact that i like the fact that we're dealing with a different religion not only a different religion but we also are dealing with also, too, we're dealing with stuff that's outside of New York now. We're dealing with New Jersey, which is something that I really do appreciate that they did. And they're also showing us a different culture. They actually know the target audience, like you mentioned. The parents, to me, were the standouts in this uh, in this TV series, though, too. That's made me enjoy it even more. Yeah, they definitely get an MVP award. They really um, – the family itself, the whole idea of the family really fleshed out a lot of what was going on with Kamala as a whole. Right. Same here. That's what I liked about it too, was the dynamic with the family and also too how Kamala is trying to fit into not only um, at school and everyday life, but also within her family though, too, it seems like that she's also one of those characters that just can't fit into society either way it went, either you can't fit in with your family or you can't fit in with the school. And the only person that she has is one of this one of her best friends. So, you know, she's only fitting into like one area, then that's something I really liked. And then, of course, she's a fan. So it's like us 
as a fan of what would we do if we had these powers? Right. And it's, and that's what I liked about it is a different kind of twist and take on it. Where as opposed to before it's like, Oh, well, Bruce Banner didn't want to have superpowers. He didn't want to ha- be like this versus Camilla who, who wants to be a superhero. And that's something that I really liked was the fact that you have someone that's a fangirl who loves superheroes. So that's why it stood out for me as number three. I can, I can definitely follow for that. It's just that when you look at a top five, I mean, you really kind of sit there and go like, wow, okay. You really get to narrow that down to what, you know, what, what, what was, what were the higher ups? So what was your, what was your number five? Be honest with you. I actually have it down to basically I have the boys as my number five. Okay, yeah, we did get boys. We did get the boys in place. And I love the boys. The boys is hands down one of my favorite shows when it comes down to the Amazon series and things like that. And what they were able to do with this season of boys, I felt like the stakes were high in this. Not only were the stakes high, but you're also wondering too, how are they gonna get out of this? Because it didn't seem like that Billy and them would actually survive it. And I was wondering too if Billy might that time whenever he ended up taking the super human drug and everything, if he was going to end up making it out alive yeah. or was, or if he was going to become a, uh, a soup himself. So that was something else that I was thinking of on those lines too, when watching it, but also too, it also d- dived into a lot of mel- about mother's milk and dived into uh, his character. They did a lot of deep diving into different characters and their origins, which is something I do appreciate with it. Yeah. And I mean, they gave us stuff like hero gasm in a, in a different format. I mean, they gave us, Basically, a whole book arc that they did in one episode. They also gave us uh, the diabolical cartoon spinoff, which was really interesting and in how they portrayed that. And then, you know, the, there was a lot of interesting storylines with stuff behind the scenes, like for example, the Deep getting back on the team. Kind of, uh, what's her name? The girl that the, the, the girl that ended up kind of quitting the seven, and she, you know, Starlight Homelander was all like, "You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna be my woman." That type of thing, and Maze in the background trying to uh, deal with things and all that stuff. So it's really interesting. When you're watching a TV series like The Boys or anything like that, the rewatchability—not as the rewatchability, but something that you were excited about and that you got a chance to watch—and if you would go back and rewatch it again, that would—that's how I actually had my top five list is my excitement level, and if it was uh, enough for me to want to go back and check it out again after yeah. watching it. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, you almost with the boys, you almost feel like you might go back and watch the first season to see how they've kind of developed a lot of the stuff in there. Because I feel like when you have that information, you know, you have the opportunity to really kind of take an introspective of the development of Homeland, the development of his son, and 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 also Billy trying to deal with being a dad and not really knowing how to do it. You know, it's kind of these, it's the interesting stories about these faulty people. Uh, I love when, you know, when Starlight is trying to say, you know, we're, we're human. We all make mistakes. You know, Homelander is just a human person like, like you or anybody else. And Homelander proceeds to go off in a very political sounding speech where he basically goes into this whole idea of I'm better, I'm stronger, I'm smarter, I'm faster, I'm better than you. I don't need to be like you. You need people like me in the world to exist to be safe. And it's just, it, it, like, the, the weird, 
I love the thing about the boys too is that it's very much a it almost feels like a reality show in a, within a reality show within a superhero show because the whole thing is like they're looking at like ratings and approval points and all this other stuff the whole time right. so your approval points went up basically when you did the stuff and then even the girl that's running his uh campaign stuff that's like, like she's losing her mind like she's it's tripping he's tearing her, her hair out literally yeah, tearing her hair out stuff. <laughs> and then a train's going through crazy stuff with dealing with this guy who's running around in his neighborhood who you know he's trying to also kind of be continue to be relevant in a world that is changing around him and so like he's trying to do all this stuff to try to figure out a way to give back to his community not understanding that he's never really been a part of the community before like he He's a hero that is African American, but he's never embraced anything having to do with his roots. Right. And he's trying to find himself within that. And he's trying out different things, especially whenever he tries doing the African American uh, flag and everything from Africa. And also, the because we see celebrities do this all the time, though, too. So it's very reminiscent to that. And also, too, even Homelander, when he makes that speech at the very end, where basically you see something going on on TV and then he winds up doing something literally blew up a guy in front of everybody and then they just didn't care. People cheer. So, no. People they saw what they wanted to see. So I thought it was very cool on how they played that off too yeah. because I know what they're hitting at and I love it. I love what they're well, doing with also it. also the fact that his son made a decision to go with him instead of going with Billy. And so now you've got Billy trying to figure out how to get the kid back and keep his promise to his wife. But at the same time, not do anything that would harm the kid because there's that part of Billy Butcher that's very destructive. And so it's hard for him not to just go on a secret destroy mission because he knows he'll hurt the kid in the process. Exactly. Okay, so what do you have uh, for your next one? So for my next one, I say for my number four, uh, I'm going to say She-Hulk. And, okay. I, and, and here's my thing. Again, one of those shows when you look at Disney Plus, people say, well, you know, I'm like, okay, I get it. It didn't look like the burn stuff exactly. It didn't flow exactly in, but I'm going to tell you what I loved about it. I love the fact that with the She-Hulk show, they set forward the fact that Jennifer Walters understood she was a character in her own story. It took her to the very end of the series to realize it, but and then, too, like everybody kept talking about, oh, she's like a Mary Sue. She, yeah. No, she really didn't because she found out real quick just how wrong she was in her thinking. By the time you get to the end of the series, you start to understand that everything Bruce told her at the very beginning was 100% accurate. But it's like, that's what you call character development. You can, you can start off as a rookie superhero making some really dumb mistakes. And she got caught in a lot of that. And I'm glad they told that story, whether people saw it or not, I don't know. Maybe I was a weird one, you know, but I, I saw the development of her understanding that she had to take the control of her own story, but at the same time, understanding that a lot of what Bruce was saying was, was right. You know, here she was, this hero, and it's like once they saw her as the monster, it's hard to put that back in the cage. Definitely. But I don't have that listed as my best or anything like that, and I'll explain later on why that's not my best. And, you know, I actually have legit reasons. It's not just because of the fact I'm trying to be like the cool kids at the table hating on something that, you know what I'm saying, for the sake yeah. of hating on something. There's, I don't hate it. I was just let down by it. 
and certain aspects of it, but I'll explain my reasoning in a few minutes as to why. Okay. Um, so I'm not going, here's the thing. This is actually going to be a little bit scattered a little bit, but I actually have Peacemaker as my next one. And here's the thing. I'm not the biggest John Cena fan. I've never been a big John Cena fan when it comes down to his acting ability or anything like that. What made me check this out was the fact that he embodied Peacemaker. He became Peacemaker to the point where I forgot that was even John Cena. He was good at his comical uh, punchlines. He was good with the bits, but not only is he good with the bits, though, he uses, they use humor in a way on this show to where you're covering up the pain of things that he's that he's been through in his past, especially when his dad was a racist and he thinks that it's okay because he's been around it and he doesn't even realize he's even coming off in that kind of way right. either. So he's like, wait. And then he says some self-evaluation. It's like, wait, am I really being a, a, a douchebag as people think I am? Or is this just me in my head thinking that it's okay for me to do this because yeah. I've been around it so long? So the humor in it, it was a lot over the top. It's James Gunn, of course, and James Gunn did a fantastic job at setting this up. He, if there was like anybody that could set this up, and right after the Suicide Squad, it's James Gunn, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do with this show. It is very over the top, very jokey, but also takes some seriousness on the on the other end, though, too, especially with Amanda Waller and her daughter, and her daughter is trying to get her uh, her mother's approval from Amanda. And, and stuff like that, too. So she figures going on this mission would actually help her. So that's what I liked about that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, when you talk about Peacemaker, one of the days you got to talk about not only his character arc as far as trying to understand who he is, but it really starts us off, like, right after that, that he wakes up from this traumatic experience of going up against uh, Bloodshot. Or Bloodsport, rather, not Bloodshot. Bloodsport. Bloodsport. And in the, in the movie, and so it's interesting because, like, you know, there's oh my gosh, what a, there's two scenes in Peacemaker that I just love. The first one is when an old man basically says, "There's an old man lives right next to him who's just he's not a. I don't think he's intentionally annoying. I think he's just an old man who's trying to figure out what his claim to it all is because he refers to himself as a superhero. And this guy's like, well, Batman has a liturgy of supervillains. You know, you can't have be a superhero and not have a liturgy of superheroes. And Peacemaker's response is pretty much the reason why I don't have a liturgy of supervillains is because I put them six feet under. I kill them. How many people has Batman basically allowed to be killed because he didn't put them six feet under like everybody else? Hey, Rossi. Hello. How are you? And so... I mean, that's one. And then the second one was when he is trying to give the list of people that the one guy could have put into frame instead of himself for his father's uh, dis- for his father's death or whatever. When he saw, like, you know, uh, James Gunn. <laughs> like, like it's very meta. They, they pull off the meta thing very well whenever they're mentioning James Gunn's name. But also, too... The other thing I really like, and you were talking about when he gets out of the hospital, I like how he thinks that he's just free to go. He goes, wait, I'm really free? I don't, yeah. I'm don't. i not under Amanda Waller's uh, power anymore or anything like that? I can actually leave the hospital? Right. And he's thinking he's a free man the whole time. That makes it even more hilarious. Because now he's going back to his trailer park, and he thinks that he's a free um, free person now. And then he finds out finding, oh, wait, Amanda does, is keeping tabs on me all this time. And yeah. then... 
The other thing I thought that was really funny was the part where you actually have him bringing home this one, one of the girls and, and she goes ham on him inside their, the apartment and and stuff like that too, which made me laugh. And he's over there in his whitey tighties trying to fight this girl. And I thought that was an hilarious uh, scene though, too. I don't know why that scene sticks out with me in that one, but also too, there's also this other scene between Scott Eastwood's character and him where basically he's like, look, man, you know, nobody likes you. And it sticks with him even in the, in the season. And something that he, he says to Peacemaker and he's following through what he said and trying to change who he is. So that's something I like too. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's important too, but I think it's interesting the relationship he has between him and the girl who we end up finding out is Amanda Waller's daughter. And how she's trying to be like, you know, look, people can like you, but you got to let people in, you know, that type of thing. And then you've got the girl who's, you got the different members of the crew around him. And there, there's a whole lot. Yeah, we got aliens running around. We got people who are consumed by aliens who are trying to stop other aliens. And we got, we got cows. <laughs> like, it gets absurd. Uh, we get a cameo of a couple of Justice League members at the end of it all. <laughs> based on stuff that John Cena found on Google, apparently, or Peacemaker found on Google that he thought was true. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was fantastic. So what else do you have for your list? So my next one on my list, uh, for my number three of the group of comic book movies and TV shows, uh, Multiverse of Madness. Not to shade to Multiverse of Madness. I think it sets up a lot of stuff for the Marvel Universe going forward without just the... It, it, it sets up a lot of different things. I mean, whether it's Young Avengers, of course, the aftermath of stuff that happened with uh, Far From Home, or No Way Home, rather, and things like that, and just all the different stuff that came out of that, and then kind of how that affected Doctor Strange and him having a fight versus Wanda, who... At this point, Bog, I realized, oh, because we kind of knew going into it that she more than likely could have been the villain, but we weren't 100% sure until she flips that switch and she's just like, you're going to bring me America, or you're not going to face Wanda Maximoff, you're going to face the Scarlet Witch. It's like, uh, uh, guys, <laughs> this is bad. Like when Doctor Strange, the hero of the movie, is sitting there going, um, we need to get the karma caught, you know, we need to get back, and we need to get, <laughs> we need to, we need to get ready. <laughs> This is bad. We need to get ready, guys. And he's all like, but aren't you? But no, we need to get ready. Get everybody ready. Every it's like kind of like that op of like a, a special agent. It's like, get me out of here. Danger, yeah. danger, out. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the scene from the professional where Gary Oldman's character is like, All right, do me a favor, get everybody assembled. He's like, Who? Everyone! Like, Dr. Strange is just like, Wong, get everybody up in here. Call all the councils. We got some stuff about to get started. I don't know if I'm powerful enough in it myself to do this, to stop it. I don't know if you're powerful enough to stop it, Mr. Sorcerer Supreme. Understand, she's coming. She's coming for her. We gotta make, we, we gotta keep her safe. You know, that type of thing. And so, yeah, Sam Raimi had some fun in that movie with a lot of imagery, like her coming through mirrors and Elizabeth Olsen, like, just ate, chewed up all kind of scenery and assorted all sorts of points. It just was just holding it in. And of course, we got the crazy uh, fight <laughs> between her and the Illuminati. And it's just like, 
wasn't a fight though. Like she no, that was like body. a they got she their butts body, tore up. She bodied the whole group. Like what I want to see if they ever get a sequel for Multiverse of Madness. So I want to see Doctor Strange having to get involved because now they're chasing after that version of Wanda from the other reality that she jumped into. And like, I want to see the whole, like that version of the Fantastic Four, that version of the X-Men, the rest of the Avengers. <laughs> I do too. I want to see how they set that up as far as that goes. I was, I'm going to be honest with you. I was let down by Doctor Strange to the point where it's like too over the top for me per se. And I also have to say this, with Wanda, I didn't really, even though I watched WandaVision, I didn't really feel like I earned that right to where she's all of a sudden a villain. I wanted more of a buildup towards that, in a sense, to where you actually get that little bit of a buildup of that being scared of her. Don't get me wrong, I was scared of her whenever you meet up with the Illuminati and stuff like that. But I wanted to have maybe more of a little bit of a slow build to get to that point with Wanda, instead of it all of a sudden just her just happened to be be there and and all of a sudden the atmosphere just changes when uh dr strange says well you're not going to be on the lunchbox but you know i just wanted a little bit more of a build-up and then i was expecting house of m and i thought that sam raimi would have been a perfect person to be able to throw in house of m with it and they don't capitalize on house of m that much like i wanted it to because they had a perfect t- thing to do with professor xavier and things like that too and then, you know, they don't even escalate on that. And then I thought that we might actually have Nightmare in this movie, which would actually added more to it. Because right. even whenever I did my podcast for the audio-only podcast back in, whenever I first started out, I'm like, who better to do Nightmare than Sam Raimi, who's actually familiar with horror movies? And then they don't use Sam Raimi for that element. They use it for a different him, use it for a different element. And it just doesn't work for me as much as I wanted to. I wanted to love it. I was just kind of let down with it, you know? Yeah, I could understand that. I mean, there there were there were things about it. It wasn't a perfect movie no. by any stretch of the imagination. But I loved it for what I loved it more for what it sets up beyond itself. And I feel like it sets up a lot of stuff. I mean, America, we don't know where America's story is gonna be taken, but we know it's going somewhere. Uh the question's like, you know, okay, so what really happened to Wanda when it was all said and done with? We know that uh, the House of Harkness is coming at some point. And when the House of Harkness comes, we know Elizabeth Olsen's already been signed on to, for a cameo role, at least. Which means I'm like, okay, they're not going to do a flashback with her, because that's WandaVision. We, <laughs> there's no flashback. That, 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 that's it. So more likely, I could see Elizabeth Olsen showing up near the end of that somehow, basically freeing her from this crazy mental lock or something that she put her under. So. so let's see here. Just wrapping up my TV shows part, but for the best, I got Moon Knight on here. Okay. And the reason why I love Moon Knight is because I'm a huge history buff. I'm a huge history nerd when it comes down to stuff. And I'm a sucker for Egyptian mythology. And you should have saw me doing all the edits for the pre-tapes because I didn't do any of them live. But I had I would look like a history teacher explaining the history of mythology and stuff like that. I had arrows pointing everywhere. I had a good time with this. I love this. You had the Charlie Day scene in the background where you're sitting there pointing with all the strings and everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that was me. 
But the also too, I like the split personality disorder. I thought that was really cool on how they bring that in. And here's the thing: I don't recommend anybody that if you work like an eight-hour shift like I did in trying to watch Moon Knight, you're going to be lost because you're tired. Yeah. And I had to really dial in one day um, on a weekend to make sure that I can watch this. Otherwise, you're going to be dazed and confused through the whole entire movie, uh, TV series. And I really liked how um, we wind up having the main villain was really good. I thought, you know, that Ethan Hawke did a really good job in that film, in that TV series. And then, of course, I thought he was very menacing. Then you also have, of course, you know, Moon Knight. I thought I thought the split personality worked. The special effects were really cool. I definitely I definitely enjoyed this a lot more than I thought of. I wanted to love Moonlight more, Moon Knight more, but I think the thing that took me out of it was the not like trying to understand the characters, but also trying to understand like with the switches between the two characters. Like they like sometimes it was very sudden and the Jake Lockley thing kind of upset me because it took them literally till the end of the series to reveal it. When they kept pointing at it and pointing at it and pointing at it, okay, when are we gonna pay this off? You know, and then they paid it off at the literally the last second of the last minute of the last moment of the show. And the payoff doesn't work because of the fact you already defeated your villain for that whole season. Right. So, I, under, so I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that bothered me because it's like, if you're going to do the points to Jake Lockley, either reveal Jake Lockley in a moment, because they, the, the only moment they quote revealed him in, you don't even see what happens. Anytime they revealed Jake, it was just it was a clip, and then it was just like, "Did you do that? I didn't do it. Did you do it? No, I didn't do it. Who did it?" You know? <laughs> I'm not being aware that there's a third persona, and it's just like nobody is like, like is he just now just now manifesting? Like, what's the like? I almost feel like if they do a season two, we're gonna get a whole episode of every time Jake manifested, and the other two were unaware. You know, and then kind of Conshu's whole thing about, well, you guys are free to go. I'm not worried about you. Good to go. Y'all are good. I promised you. I told you you're good to go. You're good to go. Yeah. What? <laughs> you don't know about this other dude that's in there in the head, do you? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I, I totally understand that, though, because a lot of people had that problem with the Jake Lockley character and B&T, especially whenever he's trapped in the sarcophagus and things like that, not letting that their personality out and it's like uh, they're holding on to that one ca- one character till the very end and the payoff doesn't land for some people. Yeah. So I totally understand it. I totally get get why you you wouldn't you didn't like it as much as you wanted to. Right. I'm I'm a simple guy when it comes to setup. If you're gonna set it up, pay it off. Give me a reason to to stay approach it. It's like it's not a situation where you pay it off and others gonna be like, okay, they paid it off. I'm good to go now because there's still the rest of the series to see. It's like how do the heroes overcome? You know what's the situation, and so yeah, they would be. I feel like they they would have been better to pay off sooner than later. So much later. Okay. So what do you have next for your list? So honestly, the next one is a movie, and it's the uh, the Super Pets one. Okay, I didn't see that one with Crypto, and of course Ace the Bat Hound. Uh, of course, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart in another buddy movie where Dwayne Johnson played Crypto, of course, voice Crypto, and then uh. Kevin Hart played Ace. And uh, one of the greatest moments ever, Keanu Reeves is Batman. You know, that that right there was almost worth the price of admission alone. 
but you get the whole Justice League and all that stuff. That stuff. I wasn't as big of a fan of that cyborg having a half afro, mm-hmm. except people were like, "Well, he had an afro. No, he had a low like he had a low like cut haircut that could be perceived as an afro." But the thing about it was, they made it, they giantified it for this thing, and I'm like, "All right." But other than that, overall, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the concept, which is very basic. You have the whole, you know, I'm. I love, but then it's like Lois and Clark, you know, get together, and then it's him feeling like he there's no room for him, and so he kind of runs away, kind of like you know, well, I don't have to be here. I'll go do my own adventure thing. And then these other animals get, uh, we get introduced to the, the animated version of the turtle that ran around with the Flash in the comics, uh, and all these different heroes that are tied to DC directly. Uh, I think the little pig is actually a character within. Uh, Wonder Woman comics for a little while. She had a pet pig that had powers, and so that pig was in the in the in the movie. And so, okay. yeah, they they had really cool uh, cameos. Like I said, they cameo the league. You got to see Lex Luthor in the actual Lex Luthor suit. <laughs> He's fighting Superman in the Justice League, and it's dope. And uh, they even had a Black Adam cameo near the end. Where like the Rock is now doing triple duty because the Rock's playing, of course, uh, crypto, and then he plays Black Adam's dog. I think it's Cerebus. I think I think I don't. Remember. Yeah. And then of course he's playing Black Adam. So of course you know there all this is going on with the way Johnson doing his thing, and I, I really I really enjoyed it. What it was, I went with my nephew to go see it because he wanted to go see it because apparently he had watched the crypto series from the Cartoon Network, and he was just like, I want to see this. I want to see if it's good. And we really enjoyed. Okay, so let's see here. I've got. I'm, I'm going to do my movies now too. So I've got um, Werewolf by Night on here on here, which is part of the Marvel uh, Disney Plus. What's that? Special presentations. Yeah, the special presentation. I consider that a movie because of the fact that you know it. They dropped that on Disney Plus, and I wasn't. Here's the thing. I grew up with old black and white. Um, you know, the old classic monsters and things like that. So yeah. this actually fed me on what I what I wanted out of it. And then they also right. blended in a little bit of the color to represent the ruby that, that they have to chase after, which also feels like a Frank Miller comic, which is something that I really and really liked about that too. And the storyline itself, it has a very vampirish type of deal where you can actually put Morbius into this universe if they wanted to put a vampire in it, but they chose to do so. But I don't know if you can say Mobius with that, but go ahead. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, that's actually my worst. Like I ranked it according to how angry I was at the theater <laughs> when I was watching these movies, watching the uh, watching the worst ones. Even though Doctor Strange is on my worst list, it didn't make me rant as much as I did for, for some of the other two movies that I have on here. But I had a lot. I had a really good time with Werewolf by Night. It caught me by surprise because I wasn't sure if the black and white would work or not. And if the acting would be a little too corny to the point where it also feels like a 1930s kind of uh, setting kind of th- thing, especially with the dialogue, but it worked. It didn't even feel like anything was like really corny with it. I thought it was a very fascinating story. I want to see more from it. Right. Right. Definitely. I can understand that. I mean, it's definitely on my list of honorable mentions just because I didn't know for sure how to list the special presentations for the Disney Plus stuff uh, because it, it, both of those, like it and the Guardian special, as far as I'm concerned, are right there neck and neck for honorable mention to me because 
that's what Guardians because they they and they said that you needed to watch this before you watched uh, before you watched Guardians three, and I'm like I don't know how that's gonna all tie into that until we see that movie to understand what the links are there. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how Nebula got Bucky's arm. That's all. <laughs> that's all I would care about. That's that's all I care about is how she got Loki's oh, got his arm to be on to Bucky's arm. You know, like so. You know, I just, that's what I want to know. I need to see a scene at some point where they're having a discussion about this or fight or something. Right. That's what I would like to see, like an extended scene coming from the Guardians uh, special. You know, just to see the battle between Nebula and him. Or maybe he wants. She was. He's sleeping one night and he took took off his arm. I don't know, but I like to see it. And she just kind of prances out with it real quick. <laughs> Can you imagine having a call Wakanda up? And be like, hey guys, I uh, know y'all hooked me up with this arm, but uh, it, I I don't know. And then all of a sudden, it's like colonizer. How could you misplace a, a vibranium arm? This does not make sense to us. You need to tell me how you managed to do this before we come up and make you a new arm. Like sure, he's in the office. What did the white boy lose this time? He lost the arm. Like, wait, the whole arm? <laughs> I would pay to just watch that go back and forth for about 20 minutes. But yeah. Like, you need to put a tracker in this one? <laughs> you know where it is in the future? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. So, what do you got next? So, when it comes to my number one, my number one is probably because the heart of the movie, the way they did it, uh, the way they worked it, the Batman. I have that as my number one. The the, the, bat, the Batman with Robert Pattinson. I mean, it just it it felt like a Batman movie. It took me back to like a true origin story without making me feel like I had to go see Thomas and Martha Wayne get gunned down again. I didn't need to see that for the five hundredth time. I knew it happened. Like it, but they managed to take me to a place where he's really starting out. He makes some dumb mistakes, and I'm glad they showed him making those mistakes. Like at one point, like, like I'm sorry. When did Batman knock on the front door anywhere? When? Never. That doesn't happen. Well, wait. This makes sense if he's starting. He's here one Batman, right? He's trying to get these footholds and trying to understand the criminal element and all this other stuff. Even he's having arguments with Alfred and Alfred's just like, you're never going to function well if you don't go to sleep. But then also the idea that Bruce Wayne has to become the character you play. People need to see Bruce Wayne at some point. Right. And I love that. They play that off though, too, where it's the thing between um, Alfred and Alfred's in the hospital. And then you have Bruce visiting him and I, I like that whole entire deal it was like, well, why didn't you tell me about my parents? Why didn't you tell me about this underground stuff that's been going on with my family? And he's angry at him for not telling him, but he's also trying to protect him and not and protect, protect the legacy that his parents had for him and not right. make it something that's bad. So I understand that. But also I want to mention this though, too, Will, like I enjoyed the whole entire mystery aspect of it. It had a seven kind of vibe mixed with saw and mixed with all these other detective elements that I really liked. I liked the slow pacing of the film. I liked how they had the twist at the end of it. I thought it made sense for what they were doing. And it has a rewatchability. No wonder why this film was rewatchable in 2022, because there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you'll miss out on if you don't pay attention to the little details within this movie. And this is also another thing I really liked was 
during the whole entire uh, funeral uh, scene, somebody crashes the funeral, and you never see that play out in a Batman-type movie. And this is also the closest that we actually got to a Gotham City in a long time. Yeah. And they, they did a really good job with that. The scoring of the soundtrack is fantastic. I'm, I listened to it last, I mean, yesterday and everything while I was taking my shower. Yeah. And ha- because of the fact that I really love the soundtrack for it. And I'm going to say this right now the angriest Batmobile we have ever seen and or heard in a movie. If, uh, if, if we never had seen the animated movie, it would be the angriest Batmobile. <laughs> That Batmobile had its own character, as far as I was concerned. Like when he's chasing after Penguin, you just hear like a <laughs> like all that. I'm just like, dude, the Batmobile is going off. Like exactly. Batmobile has its own personality. And but I love the fact that you can intermix, like, okay, you can introduce the penguin, you can introduce Catwoman, you can introduce the Riddler, and you've got Commissioner Gordon, and you've got uh Selena kind of playing the other side of things and her, you got all these interplays going on in this. But Matt Reeves is just intertwining this beautifully because you don't feel like one overshadows the other and at the end of the day it's still a bad movie. Exactly. And as a detective movie it's our first time ever seeing him doing detective work within a whole entire movie. Don't get me wrong, we got to see a little bit in the Dark Knight and stuff like that, but not as heavy-handed. He stayed in that Batman suit for the whole entire time. Yeah. Just about. And this, I would say it's like 95% Batman and 5% uh, Bruce Wayne. Right. And I think that was interesting, too, because it was an interesting choice in that his tech is, you could tell his tech was still developing, but that beyond the tech, the greatest tech was right here. Mm-hmm. It was him trying to put things together and figure things out and work things through. And and I like the fact that we're dealing with an imperfect Batman for year one and questioning his own motives and his own skills and not knowing what to do or anything like that and not knowing, oh, I'm not supposed to go knocking on the door. I'm not the cops. I don't come knocking at the door. I am the night. I am the dark night. And yeah. I will go through a window if I have to. Yeah. And just, yeah. It, it is. The movie itself was this ultimate love letter, I felt like, to the character of Batman. Like, you got that line when he's beating up the one guy. It's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm vengeance. And it's just like, what? And it took me back to that moment in the animated series where it says, I am the knight. I am vengeance. I am Batman. That's all you need to know. And you don't ever really hear him say, like, I'm Batman. Like, they kind of put that together. Like, the media declares him Batman. He doesn't even get the name. Well, even the penguin, whenever he's talking in Spanish to him, and he goes, and Alfred and him didn't put it together that it wasn't a bat that they were talking about, or it was a bat. I forgot the bit that they did with it, but I like that. Yeah, and and another thing I thought was interesting about the movie, too, was the idea that in a world where Batman exists, the fear is so much more about the unknown about it. Like, the urban legend was greater than he was, and he knew it. But he made a point to pay it off whenever he could so that people continued to tell the stories of this mysterious man. Because I think in the, in the, in the initial thing at the beginning, he said something to the effect of, when the shadows start to fall, the stories start to go out. So when the stories start to go out, people begin to get concerned. People begin to get fearful because of what hides in the shadows. 
And it's just so perfect of a Batman mindset of villains are a superstitious and cowardly lot. That idea of the dark things they don't understand. That's where I that's where I live. Totally. 100%. But yeah, the Batman is definitely my number one. Of course, if you look in the background, I've actually gotten like the box set for the Batman with like the little tin plate and everything too that I got from Walmart. And I also have like a little pop uh, Batman pop from the yeah. Batman. So yeah, this movie's hands down one of my favorites. Um, so I'm just going to go by two of my honorable mentions real quick. I have Black Panther as my honorable mention. And that and Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. And let me tell you why I have Black Panther as my honorable mention. I had a lot more fun with this one, even though you have to admit it was hard for them to go ahead and go without Chadwick and have two moments of silences in the movie theater was perfect. You can hear a pin drop in that theater. And I think that we needed that. I think we needed that moment of silence for Chadwick. I think that we actually needed that moment of, oh, where it's not just us going through it. It's also these characters going through the emotions of the fact that they're not having their king anymore and what to do because of the fact that they don't have their king anymore. And also, too, with the destruction that Killmonger does, the very first one, you don't have that great big light city that we had and was introduced to in the first uh, Black Panther movie. So it kind of makes it an apocalyptic kind of world in Wakanda and the light is dimmed around Wakanda because their king is gone. And it's about not knowing what to do now that their king is gone and to show strength, even though they, uh, and not show weakness, because I like how they brought that up too. Angela Bassett does a fantastic job at bringing that into full focus. Oh, you think because we lost our king, we're weak? No, we're we're not weak. Yeah, and I think the thing, and I put it kind of honorable mention just because as much as I love that movie, when you compare it to the other movies, for me, it's kind of hard to put it on the list in the top five because it's like, it's right on the threshold. Like, Super Pets could have been replaced real easily. (laughs) But for Black Panther, I feel like the thing I loved about Black Panther above all else was they took the themes from Captain America Civil War of revenge, of how revenge can consume you, and how it can mess with your judgment if you're not real careful. And it carried the theme from the introduction of Chadwick and the introduction of Black Panther in the MCU all the way to the current Black Panther in Shuri, because she went through the same thing her brother went through. And even to the point of her saying at one point, if I if I take if I set this aflame, then I feel like my rage will set the world on fire. And the idea that she had to understand what she was dealing with was the same thing her brother dealt with when her when their father was killed at the UN. And how he had to be the champion. How he tells Black Widow at the very beginning, he's like, Oh no, you do not have to worry about this situation. I will find the man who did this. Like it's that whole thing where he's very much focused on revenge. So much so he at one point chased after the wrong man. Because he's chased after Bucky with this ferocity. Like he looks at Captain America. Captain flipping America. He says how long do you think you're going to keep me away from him? How long? And I'm just like, I don't know that you have an answer for that. Like, nobody did. Because that's the reality. I mean, even every time that Chadwick Boseman was on screen with Bucky, it was bad news for Bucky. 
Like even when he's no suit, no nothing, he's just running up stairwells and jumping up things and fighting your boy. He's just going off. I'm just like, dude, when he sees uh, Zemo, you know, of course, Zemo goes to take the gun and just finish himself and Black Panther gets the hand in front of him. Bow! Just blocks the bullet. I'm like, that's power. Like, he yeah. literally blocked the bullet from coming out of the chamber to hit you in the head. Like, he was that fast and that and knew he could do it without worrying about it. But he looked at him and says, I will not let revenge take my heart today. And sure, he had to learn that same lesson. And I thought that was powerful through line from that movie all the way to her. Same. Um, the same type of rage and anger. But because she lost everybody. She lost her brother. She lost the power of the nation. She lost her mother. You know, she lost everybody that meant something to her and kept her focused. And so even to Mbaku, for him to look at her and say, you've been through too much child. You've been through too much to be considered a child. You know. Right. He acknowledges her as a as a queen, but not only acknowledges her as a queen, but as a grown woman. Yeah. And treating her with the respect and maturity level as a woman, as a young woman versus a little girl, because she's no longer because she had to grow up so quickly because she's been surrounded by death her whole entire life. Yeah. Well, I mean, you go back to Black Panther one where he says you put your you put your technological future on the advancements of a child who scoffs at tradition. He literally called her a child in that first Mm -hmm. big thing. And to go from that to his development, like where's the Duke? Like hands up to him like i wish he i hope he wins all the awards going in his future i know angela bassett just got a thing to go globe for best supporting actress female actress and uh, i was just like man yeah like all over the place go you know go get them go, go get all the awards now the only the only nitpick i had was okay you know whenever they're about to go and meet the big bad that you know what's his name the main villain i'm forget, i'm forgetting his name right now anymore Namor, yeah. When they go meet Namor, and she and I'm thinking that he's going to be on his throne when he sees her. The set piece to me looked kind of small and kind of looked like that he was eating a subway sandwich. And he goes, "Hey, Namor, I need to talk to you." Okay, not a problem. Hey guys, yeah, watch my sandwich for a minute. Hey you, Starbucks, yeah. Look, I want two creams, two sugars. I'll be right back. Hold that thought real quick. I'm going to go dive underneath the water and sit on my throne and talk about my kingdom with Sherry. I'll be right back. Don't eat my sandwich, and we'll talk later. Yeah. It just felt like the set piece was a little too small. It looked like something from the 1950s or 60s for Charles and Heston in it. And they're going to go underwater to where his kingdom is. Uh, I always pictured Namor on the throne versus him just being casually just sitting around. I'm like, no. I'm like, I want... I wanted something more from that to show his dominance from it. I think the fact that we understand that the reason why Namor was playing this hand was because he understood that at some point he understood what he said near the end of the movie when he says, you know, at some point they're going to come for Wakanda. And when they come for Wakanda, they're going to need an ally. And that's when we're going to truly bond and be, and be what we need to be. We're going to rule together and work together. Because he understood, there was a, they were paralleling really two kingdoms that were outside of the normal world that had also both been through colonization in different ways. A very horrific colonization. Common enemy. Yeah. And so Namor was looking at it more like, well, we need 
we need to band together against the surface world. She's like, no, we may band together, but we're not going to fight them. Like, that's not the way this is working. That's not how this is going down. Even she, though, she had that rage growing in her to the point where she would, she would, you know, eventually want to burn the world down at one point. Because, I mean, when she starts fighting Namor, I mean, she literally tries to just dry him out. Like, she's literally just like, right. we're going to put you under the biggest heat lamp we can put you under so that you don't have power and access to your ability. You know? Right. But it, it's so, uh, so, do you have anything else as far as your list goes, or...? Uh, the only thing I have is really I, I didn't have a list of like my top five worst. I've got two that are kind of in that worst category, mainly more so because of the fact that like this is like I, I could tolerate the rest of them, but these two were kind of like the, uh, uh, so. okay. What are they? <laughs> oh, so, okay. Uh, the first one. As much as I, I and, and I'll be honest to say, when I saw Thor: Love and Thunder, it's one of those movies that I enjoyed at the time I saw it. But the more I went back and thought about it, like this movie felt so disjointed from like the last Thor movie we got, and it was like I'm going. So if the plan was to bring Jane Foster in, and then she dies by the end of it, so so what was the real point? You know, and then also you have a character in uh, in uh, Gore the God Butcher who you could have found a way to introduce symbiotes into the MCU in a more galactic way because the fact that in the comics, Gore found no weapon, the, the, the symbiote sword. And basically could cut through anything. Like they really made Gore feel like a pedestrian villain. And the fact that by the end of the movie he dies, it's like Marvel, Marvel, can we keep some villains alive? Can we right. keep some villains alive, please? Like what like I understand you don't need every villain to be a big super bad like Thanos. I get it. But Gore the God Butcher should not be dying by the end of Thor Love and Thunder. No. And Playoff, it was Love and Thunder because, oh, he's taking care of Gore's kid like a daughter. It honestly felt like it was like Taika Waititi's going, Hey, you want your kids to be in this movie? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have your boy, youngest boy play a younger version of you as a kid. And then we're going to have your daughter come in and play this young girl that you're going to be with. And so that way at the end, it could just be you and your family on this movie. And I think his wife was like, one of the people in the village at one point, and it just it just felt really disjointed. And the it ghost, did. the ghost mm. alone almost made it the worst movie for me. Oh, me too. Like my friend Chris just busted my balls on my on my page just a few minutes ago before we went live. He actually posted a gif of the goats because he knows I cannot stand the goats. The goats, I'm like, I guess the goats were supposed to be comedic uh, for use for comedic effect. It was annoying. It was. And let me tell you what my pet peeves were with this film, okay? It felt like an SNL skit through the whole entire movie. <laughs> I mean it. It felt very much like an SNL bit. I was excited because we have Russell Crowe as Zeus. I was expecting uh, Zeus to be intimidating. I'm expecting him to want to throw a uh, lightning bolt up Gord's butt or yeah. a battle between Gorg and him to the point where he dies. And instead... 
it's Thor that winds up killing him on an accident. And it was very too jokey. You also have the other part where he's all Zeus is wanting to do is just party and have orgies. I'm like, okay, this is not the Zeus that I wanted in this universe. I was expecting more of like a badass Zeus. That's who I wanted. And I said, I got an SNL bit. And then here's the thing. I get the fact with Thor Ragnarok. It was jokey in a sense, but it was jokey for a reason. You can cover up pain with joking. And you can do it in that kind of way, and it actually fits because Thor went through a lot in that third film to where it's like, okay, well, he's joking because he's covering up the pain of losing his family, losing his brother, losing all that. And then you put this and put him in this, and it's it's very disjointed, like you mentioned. Then you have Gore the God Butcher. He doesn't kill any gods. We only saw him kill one god at the very beginning, and he doesn't even kill him. The part where Thor shows up with the kids, and you're expecting Gore to show up, because if he, if I put these kids in this uh, whole entire predicament, in this planet, and I'm having a visitor, even though it's a vi- visionary uh, of Thor being in there, I would know that he's being, these kids are being visited by Thor. I would not just let him have a friendly conversation. There was no danger element within that part. Yeah. Um, the Jane Foster having cancer thing and stuff like that too. By the time you got through all the jokes to the point where she's on her deathbed, it doesn't even feel like you would miss her. If that makes sense, it yeah, made it feel like okay, she's dying. Well, okay, that, that, so she's she's dead, and there was like no emotional attachment to that, well, and I wanted an emotional yeah. pull for it. Well, and, and, and the thing that, that I didn't understand, too, in that specific situation was, okay, so she's told that it accelerates her dying or whatever, and then she just, in the in the MCU, she just goes about how. Like, that's it. She just goes there. And I'm like, she didn't die. She technically didn't die in battle. I mean, if you set up the rules of the game beforehand, she looks at, he looks at, uh, Oh, I can't think of Lady Sif. He says, you have to die in battle to go to Valhalla. Your arm might go to Valhalla, but the rest of you didn't die. Like, you're going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, technically she died in Thor's arms because of cancer. And it's like, I mean, yeah, did she fight in Thor? Sure, okay, but how did she get in Valhalla if the whole rules were you have to die in battle? You know, right. It was just to set up the fact that her and Thor were going to have this one-ons where they're fighting together. Yeah. This is what everybody wanted. Yeah. And then it's like, so will she become Valkyrie in the in the MCU? Does she get to come back as a Valkyrie now? I don't know. It depends, I guess, on if Natalie Portman wants to come back for it, you know? Right. And the reason why the, th- the other Thor movie worked was because Taika Waititi didn't direct and write it. It was written by somebody else. This is a Taika Waititi movie featuring Thor. And also, too, the goats annoyed me to no end. Whenever the goat crashes into the planet uh, that uh, Gork has, I'm like, okay, good, they're dead. And then all of a sudden I hear the little sound effect. I'm like, no. I, I, I'm And I'm at this point where I'm like this the whole time. I'm like, I'm just ready. For, it's like me going for a root canal for my dentist. I'm just ready for this movie to end. Yeah. And, and also another thing too, I didn't understand about it. When you really look at the movie, uh, I understand that part of the story they were telling was that the gods didn't really care anymore. 
But the idea of somebody coming to kill them would be something that would be a very normally like a all like that. And again, you have to remember too in the gore story, the comics. And again, I know we we're, MCU is not going to be faithful to the comic adaptation. I get it, but there's still a part of me that, as a reader of the comics, wants to see the fact that okay, you've got three different Thors and three different timelines all coexisting in different spaces trying to have to work together to figure out how to take down Gore because he's that powerful. Because the more, the more gods he takes out, the more powerful he becomes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I almost wondered what it would have been like if we got a movie, like maybe a Disney Plus special or something, where we saw Gore becoming Gore the God Butcher. And then we see him in this super just dumb form. It's like, oh, everything's black and white because we're on this planet where the absence of light is. Eh? That's the that's the power of Gore God. He's a god. There's so much more to him than just that. He should be a, and here's the thing: face like like almost almost like Gore when Thor was trying to warn him and they didn't go. Like Gore, Thor should have just left, and then Gore shows up and wipes out the gods, and then like Thor comes back. Because they think, well, Gore's there. We got to deal with him. And then come to find out by the time he gets there, he's already wiped out all the gods. Right. And I'm not an avid comic book reader when it comes down to the Thor comics, but I know enough to know that there's something more powerful about a god killer. You're, if you're a god killer, show him killing gods. Show him killing Apollo. Show him call. Or any of those other ones that we haven't been introduced to in the comic book world, or show like a little small battle with Hercules or something, even though we're supposed to get a Hercules kind of film, but at least tease the fact that he went there to try and take him down. And even though you don't have to show Hercules' face or anything, but just show him getting kicked out of Greece or something. Yeah. Just show the power of, oh, wait. Okay, so you are God the God Butcher, but you cannot take on Hercules by yourself. Right. And, so, and what, yeah, not only that, but you could have done the same thing you did by the end of the movie because you could have had uh, had him go to Hercules and say, Thor Odinson brought this on us. We all have died because of Thor's attempt to get us to ratify the fact that Gore was able to track where he went. Go find Thor. Go deal with him so that something like this can't happen again. Exactly. Um, the next thing I have for us for sports goes and it's Morbius, and then uh, then after that I got She-Hulk. But I'm going to talk about She-Hulk right now. Okay. So I tease it a little bit. Okay, so you and I did the reviews for She-Hulk. Yes. And here's the thing: I love the storyline whenever it comes down to She-Hulk herself. The storylines for those were very realistic, very, and also to ta- targeted the trolls that were, tar- and I just didn't like the fact every single time when you turned the TV on, they were targeting the trolls every single time. It's like feeding them the energy to hate on the show even more. Right. And that's something I didn't really like. But then, I, but like I said, the storyline with She-Hulk, with with her, I loved. I loved everything about that. It's just the subplots. I didn't care about what her friend was doing as far as uh, being a lawyer, trying to stand on her own and things like that. I didn't care about that part. I didn't care about all these other little small nugget characters who wants to be represented by by her. Um, I, I liked the dating stuff. I liked the wedding stuff. 
that stuff I really enjoyed. It's just the little subplots here and there I didn't like. And I also didn't like pulling the curtain back as far back as they did to reveal that the whole entire time that it's been operated by Kevin, even though it's a funny bit, they could have left it at that. But then they go on ahead and go through the creator's room and bring that down. And then it's like I can understand if it was Deadpool wanting to kill the Marvel Universe and doing it that way. But they do it in a way with She-Hulk that I didn't really like. I didn't like them pulling back the curtain and going through the individual sets, going through the Disney Plus app, pulling down her show. It just didn't work for me. It didn't land the way I wanted it to land. I wanted more of a payoff at the end. And that's why I don't. I didn't really care for it as much as I wanted it to. Yeah, and that that whole her kind of really breaking the fourth wall that way was definitely a John Byrne thing. Uh, some of the old, there was one in particular where she was going up against, uh, she was trying to find John Byrne. Like, literally, that was the whole point. She was talking about how, like, she was like, why am I being written this way? This doesn't make sense. You know, I'm fighting such and such. And it's just like, well, John Byrne's the writer and the artist. And so she ripped through the comic page. And for like 10 or 15 comic pages, she's trying to, she's stomping through the Marvel office. Where's John Byrne? I need to find him. This is ridiculous. Da, 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 da. And so Sam Lee's in it. All these different people are in it. They're like, okay, yeah, Byrne's back in the back. And so like they went back there and it's like, explain to me why, da, 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 da. And so they're having a long dialogue about like why he writes her the way he does, why he, all this stuff. That's a very John Byrne thing that they did. Now, the way they did the payoff, I understand why you didn't like it. I get that. Uh, I will say this. I felt like it was funny that Jessica Gao, who was the writer of the show and director of the show, was in that scene, but didn't even play herself. Like She didn't speak. Another person was paid to play her in that same role when she was in the room. And that bothered me because I'm like, you can't speak for yourself? Like You wrote it. You know, you can't like you had to get an actress to play yourself, right? While you were in the room with the actress playing you. But here's the thing, though: I can understand reading a comic book, and it goes to show you that some comic book adaptations from screen what was written on paper through a comic book does not adjust well as far as the TV screens go. And if I would actually read that on a comic book, I would eat that up. But considering the fact that it was on a TV screen. It didn't work for me. So, yeah. I got you. I got you. I know. I laughed. I think I laughed out loud because I'm sitting there going, "Like, what are they doing?" Because, like, you know, you're watching it and it's literally interrupted, and it's like you're just at the Disney Plus screen. I'm going, "At the Disney Plus screen? Why am I at the Disney Plus screen? What's going on?" And then she like comes out. I'm like, "Oh, this is what they're doing." Okay. I wonder when they were gonna go full full break. So uh, yeah. Okay, so let's go on ahead and talk about Morbius, and then we'll end it. Morbin time! Ah! <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Oh, no, that, that movie. That movie, man. They, they could have just put that right on anywhere else and not put that in the theaters. That didn't need to go to the theaters, it did. But- I'll be honest with you. I was excited for Morbius. I'm a huge Morbius comic book fan. I have a Morbius pop. I have read the comic books of Morbius. Also, too, they wanted to put him in the Amazing Spider-Man for the fourth mo- for the third movie. And I was excited about that. And then they never did it. And then they, when they do it now, um, 
I was let down with this. I was let down because of the fact that I was expecting Morbius in this. And also, too, it had nothing to do with um, Jared Leto being Morbius. I thought he did a fantastic job. It was the setup of where we got. And I also felt like the friend that he actually has in the orphanage and things like that, we didn't get to have that whole entire villainous role where it was like, oh, my friend left me. So therefore, I'm going to take vengeance out on him for leaving me. I did not feel that connectivity between the two friendships or anything like that. I did not like that. The other thing, too, is the purple, uh, purplish CGI, whenever they're flying through the subway system and stuff like that. I thought that it felt like very vampire-ish. I forgot the name of the video game, but that's what it looked like to me. Uh, Tyrese in this movie does not. Does not these are two police officers that just don't, are bad at their job. And they're very bad at their job. Um, Tyrese has one little small part where I'm like, okay, you're doing a pretty good job. And that's that part where he goes, you know what, man, you did a pretty good job when we were, I was out in the army and you just got, and you wind up coming, having a cure for something. And that's something I really liked. Then the other stuff just falls down to the surface where there should have been more screen time for a character that we didn't even know anything that some people didn't know anything about. Yeah. I feel like with Morbius, I feel like what it what the biggest problem with Morbius was was one too many pullbacks. They kept pulling it back due to the pandemic. They kept pulling it back to this, and like I said, I, I feel like it, it the Scarlett Johansson thing. I think shifted how a lot of studios are trying to deal with the pandemic because when Disney Plus was like, we're going to release Black Widow as a movie into the theaters, and then Disney Plus at the same day. And a bunch of people are just like, well, why have I got I got Disney Plus. I'm already paying $10 a month for it. Why am I going to go to the movie theater to go watch this movie where I can just watch it here at home? And how that affected a lot of these other movies. And I was like, to be honest, Morbius would have done a lot better had they just released it and let that let that go to uh, Netflix. or I believe it's Netflix. I believe Sony's deal with them is they go to Netflix. Right. Netflix released uh, Morbius, which, yeah. you know... And then they go on ahead. They re-release it in the theater again because of the, because of the jokes about the internet where people were sitting there talking about. It. And then Jared Leto's all like, "Hey, look, guys, I got the script of Morbius too. It's Morbid time." I'm like, "Okay, if you couldn't figure out he's in on the joke, like, just I'm sorry. I'm sure he paid somebody a lot of money to type out a script page. It's like it's Morbid." Just type that out. And the fact is, the studios were so stupid not to know that they were being trolled by people. Like, oh, we got ourselves a hit, guys. Guess what? We'll go ahead and re-release again. And it bombs again for the second time. This is not the Snyder Cut. Nobody (laughs) want this. Nobody really wanted that. Like, oh, now we're going to go to the theaters and watch Morbius for real this time. It's going to be great. I'm like, I remember people going back and watching like the old Spider-Man cartoon on Disney Plus just to watch the Morbius episodes. Just to, they just watch this and then just brought this to live action. But they couldn't because Sony keeps trying to make a Spider-Man universe minus in Spider-Man. Well, I think I remember Kevin Feige getting kicked off at Sony for what they did. They said, look, why did you drop the ball on this when I told you to hold on for a minute? Yeah. Like, it's like there are ways for them to go in and do a there are ways for them to do a Spider-Verse. And all they need to do is just wait until Marvel says, okay, so case in point, somebody was like, Well, how could you do a Spider-Verse? I said, you could do Miles Morales on one end, and you could do Peter Parker on the Marvel side. 
And I'm sure that because I, I, you know, I'm sure that Sony already has the right to enter the Spider Verse property. So you could bring in a young kid as Miles and let him be your Spider Man. And people, because again, with MCU and Sony, they're not doing things to be comic accurate in the first place. It doesn't matter if you have Miles fighting the normal wizard. Nobody's going to care about that. It's, 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 no. it's written well. Is it done well? Does it look good? Those are the things you do. You have Morbius show up and be Morbius, and you can have those days. You can have Venom. You know, of course, another thing that bothered me about Morbius was the whole incursion thing that they set up in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. And then they just forgot that that was a thing by the time you get to Morbius. Because it's like, so yeah, Vulture somehow here? And Vulture's from the MCU regular, and now he's here. And we don't even know that we're ever going to get him back. And so it's like, how if you get the, if you get him back, it's like, how does he come back? Where's the story there? Or you just right. act like it didn't happen. You know, is that going to cause an incursion? Are they going to wipe out the whole Morbius universe? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> Because here's the thing, I had high hopes for it because of the fact, number one, they knocked it out of the park with Venom 1. Venom 2, I can forgive them for. I was like, okay, you had one strike, one home run, I'm good. Okay? So, going to see Morbius, I'm like, okay, I'm done. You're struck out twice. I'm I'm not giving you any more chances. I'm not going to be in this relationship anymore. Oh, you're not gonna go see Craven when Craven comes out with Aaron Taylor Town. I'm iffy with that, man. I'm like, I'm so iffy with it. That's not even funny. Like, part of me is like, yeah, I want to see it, but on the other hand, I'm like, are they gonna make this an SNL skit too, where basically you get nothing but comical skits, and then then after that you get a climax with them, uh, with a villain? Nah, I, if that's the case. Yeah, I love where they were like, well, Aaron Taylor, t- uh, uh, the guy playing, I can't think of his full name, but I know it's like a three name. Uh, I think it's Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think. Isn't Taylor, it? Yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think you're right. And uh, But they were talking about the fact that they're going to make sure that they create a an animal-loving Craven the Hunter. And I was like, so... How does that like, work? Not Craven the Hunter. Like, no. The Hunter <laughs> is in his name. What does he hunt? Oh, wait. He hunts animals. And Spider-Man, you don't have the second one in that thing, in that list. So he has to hunt animals, right? Right. Like, but he, he's a, I mean, I guess he's going to hunt them down so he can say, rescue them from like... That's not the same. That That's like being a Care Bear, if you think about <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to... I am off. I have Care Bear stairs. I save your polar bear from, from being poached. You come and then here you hear, here. And you see like the rainbow coming out of his chest. Heart. <laughs> it's like a big giant lion, right. and it just it just comes up and meow, and it just like flashes out. It's like coming soon to a theater near you. See Craven the Hunter, not hunt anything at all. Watch him as he hugs the animals. Watch him as he pets the animals. Watch him as he hunts the animals and puts him in the zoo. Coming we soon, Raven, the almost hunter. We found <laughs> Anaconda caught in a box. We saved him and pulled him out. Like, basically, they're trying to turn him into, like, Steve Irving. Mm-hmm. But the hunter. Like, 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 it's just like, so, yes, we, we, this thing, is one of the most dangerous animals in the world. 
and I've come here to find the poachers that are stealing the, the stingray skins so that I can hunt them down and stop them and free the stingrays. This is what we do in Russia. Like, no! Heart. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time you say that, see, I no longer think of Care Bears. I think of Captain Planet now. That's a whole different thing. Now, Monty's running around with that dang monkey. You know, they, no, no guy. Neither one of them. <sighs> well, well, I think that's... Craven the Hunter. Hunter Care Bears. Yeah. <laughs> The ultimate law for your animals. Keep your pets spared and neutered, just like Bob Barker told you. A craven the hunter will be hunting you. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but okay, so <clears throat> I think that's it for this part goes. But I do want to mention something real quick. As everybody knows, my good friend Ben Rayner passed away um the day before New Year's Eve. And we actually did a charity, me and a group of friends that I used to co-host for Frouch Schmodown. And I was also part of their community. As a matter of fact, I'm back in their community again. And we've done a fundraiser for Ben for the for, for him and his family. We managed to raise five thousand dollars for his family. Our goal was two thousand five hundred, and we managed to make five thousand. And we did that within a couple of hours. Um we did this whole entire uh, fundraiser. Everybody came together as one in one community. We had different channels doing stuff. With that being said, my channel is now going to be back in that community once again. You're going to see Frenchie come back on here. You're going to see people within that community, and it's going to be a huge thing for all of us to be able to be in this community. Matter of fact, that's why we actually call it the Benverse. So that's why you see that logo above who actually goes out to Ben and in remembrance of Ben, because Ben was on a couple of my episodes too. We actually did the soup kitchen Nazi episode with Seinfeld. We've done the back to the future episode back in the day. That was my very first appearance back onto the YouTube channel. Ben was with us. I've done a number of shows on his uh, channel. Matter of fact, this channel is actually called the multiverse of kingdom and a lot of his uh, co-hosts and stuff like that are going to be joining me as well on certain segments. So you guys go ahead, stick around for that coming up soon. As a matter of fact, Don will be on our last of us review. I'll also have ACS universe on my channel. He's been on my channel before Anthony has. Then I'll have another person call up from in the front row YouTube channel. And she's from Australia. And we're going to be reviewing the very first episode of the last of us coming up on Wednesday at o'clock Central time, o'clock Eastern time. But I just want to let everybody know why I have the Benverse logo up and why I'm doing that. It's in remembrance of Ben, and Ben is a great guy. He sh- he opened him and his crew opened me up with open arms and everything. It was a great time to be a part of that, and I'm actually a privilege to be able to be back in that again. And they're rebuilding their channel, and I have a couple of my videos on their channel to give them a little bit of an extra boost, so that way they have some content. So. That's everything that's going on over here. What about for you? You know, uh, we're dropping this week. We're dropping uh, an episode where we just riff on uh, some stuff about D&D, stuff about all sorts of interesting news and stuff. And then we'll be, hopefully this next week, we'll be doing our uh, top 2022 moments from the conversations 
uh, during the course of this last year. Just we hadn't really done that before. We hadn't really done a look back at shows in the past. Uh, but we just wanted to kind of you know get a chance to give people a reminder and episodes and things like that to go check out. Different conversations we've had with different people. So yeah, that's the main thing. We're going to be getting ready to get in our Pathfinder groove uh, since uh, Wizards of the Coast has decided they're trying to figure out what to do to crash D&D completely. Uh, We're just going to get back into doing some Pathfinder stuff. Uh, Yeah, so that's going to be the fun thing. Okay. Well, that's everything that's going on over here at Movie Lovers Night and also on Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. Go on ahead. Subscribe to his uh, podcast, Will's podcast. It's a great podcast. I really enjoy his podcast and stuff like that. And so you're very welcome. And always until next time, guys, have a great and safe night. Bye-bye.